Welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to entangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey friends, do you guys like this podcast? We hope, fingers crossed, that you do. If you're listening right now and thinking yes, then we want to ask you if you know about Patreon. Patreon allows creators and podcasters like us to create fun content that you want to hear. So if it interests you, we would love to invite you to come on in and be a part of our Patreon fam bam. You can pledge as little as $1 to as much as $10, $20, $30, $100, whatever you want. It comes out of your account just once a month right at the beginning. It's easy peasy. And honestly, y'all, any dollar amount counts and helps us to keep going. Okay, friends, so today you are truly in for one heck of a treat. If you haven't heard of Becca Stevens, you are going to be in awe today by this woman. She is just phenomenal, and she has such a beautiful heart for women with sexual abuse and trauma. Becca Stevens is an author, speaker, Episcopal priest, justice entrepreneur, and founder and president of Thistle Farms, which is a community of women survivors of prostitution, trafficking, and addiction. Thistle Farms includes a holistic two-year residential program, justice enterprises that employ survivors, and an education and outreach program that includes a national network of 50 sister communities. The global market of Thistle Farms helps to employ more than 1,800 women worldwide. How flipping amazing is that, you guys? So today, Becca and I truly dive into the depths of sexual abuse and how we can address this topic in a loving, grace-filled way within the context of relationships. Becca shares her story and how this played out as she shared her past with her husband. And y'all, I also have a moment of true vulnerability as I reveal some of my own personal story in discovering my own sexual abuse past while actually in a relationship with someone. This conversation is just gorgeous, and I really think you all will love what she has to say about everything. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the lovely Becca. Becca, I'm so grateful to have you here on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. This is going to be fun. I can't wait to see where this conversation goes. I know. It's so exciting. And for those of those of you guys listening that don't know who Becca is, she, I just have to say this to everyone, she's such an incredible woman and you guys are in for such a treat today because Becca, I really and truly have been looking forward to just talking with you. And I just know from what I've heard about you, that you have such a beautiful heart, especially for women who've come from, you know, really abusive and traumatic situations. And though this is the first time we're meeting, I want you to know that I truly admire you in so many ways. And so I'm just so, I could not be more grateful to have you on today. Well, that is a very sweet intro. I think it's going to be fun. And also, you know, to me, it's like when we can tell our story and it's a healing story. It's good for everybody. And so I think, you know, we're going to maybe help do some good healing work today. I love that. And so as I understand it, you started Thistle Farms over 21 years ago. Is that right? Is it about 21 years? Yeah. That's incredible. So can it, for everyone listening, can you just explain a little bit about what Thistle Farms is, what you do in general? 
Sure. So 21 years ago, we opened up a house for women who were survivors of trafficking, prostitution, and addiction. And we didn't want to be like a halfway house. We didn't want to be a treatment center. We didn't want to be a shelter. It was just like, can we be a community of women? Can we open up a place that's a sanctuary? Yeah. And we invited five women to come in and it was amazing what happened. And so it grew, we made new houses, and then we realized that it was very important to have, you know, some real economic healing if we're talking about loving and healing women, that economic independence is so important. So we started this justice enterprise called Thistle Farms, and it's grown to be the largest enterprise in the U.S. We have sister organizations and houses all over the country. We have 50 organizations that are part of it here in the U.S. doing long-term housing for survivors. And then we started about 10 years ago working overseas. So we have global partners now all over the world. Wow. I just got back from Mexico you like did. three days ago. Oh my working gosh. with an amazing tiny group of women who are, you know, resilient and beautiful and have come through hell. Um, that's incredible, Becca. And so you just really create such a place of sanctuary for these women and you bring them in and you really give them a home and then you allow them to have opportunities to have work. Is that right? Well, I don't know that I allow it all. Yeah. I think we all do it together. Yeah. I mean, the whole idea is that this isn't done for women. It's done beside and with women mm. survivors, you know, who the people that I get to serve are first rate between the ages of seven and 11 on average and first hit the streets between, you know, 14 and 16 years old. So the idea of saying, look, what are your dreams? How can I help you achieve those? How can we help you, you know, make restitution with the courts and your kids? How can we, you know, how can we help you further your career? I mean, all of that. And so the Thistle Farms is run by the women who are survivors. So like all the department heads about, I think about six out of the 10 departments are run by women who have graduated from the program. Wow. So I feel like they let me do the work with them. Yeah, (laughs) that is so beautiful. Anyway, Becca, you just have such an incredible heart for women, clearly. And so I just want to break it down here quickly and just ask you if you could define for us as someone who is on the foregrounds and you're really experiencing firsthand what happens to these women when they're in sexually abusive situations, but would you just be able to break it down here quickly for us um, and define different kinds of sexual abuse just so people are aware? I will say that, you know, my life, my story started, um, my dad was killed when I was little by a drunk driver and then I was sexually abused for a long time. And, um, you know, it wasn't incestuous. It was by one of the leaders of the church, if that's what you mean by different types of like, who's the perpetrator? Yeah, or different varying levels, right? Because I think a lot of people get confused on the different levels of sexual abuse as well. Um, What do you mean by that? I'm interested in what you mean by that. Yeah, well, I think some people actually as well, just in general, from the level of the women that you deal with, who obviously have extremely more traumatic situations, but then I think... When it comes to obviously bringing it into relationships and into our dating culture, a lot of people actually have had experienced sexual abuse and probably don't even realize that they have. Mm. Oh, I see what you're saying. So, you know, uh, yeah. And, you know, one of the areas that I've learned 
so much in is I've also, I'm an Episcopal priest and yeah. a chaplain, and I do some work at Vanderbilt University and trying to really understand the rape culture or date rape or how people talk about it. But, you know, what I believe truly is that the there are universal issues around sexual assault and violence towards women, yeah. whether it's, you know, a stranger, whether it is um, somebody that you've gone out with, there are universal issues and women bear it on their individual backs. And you see, you know, um, it's all related. Yeah. You know, there's not really different categories of assault on our bodies. We experience that stress in the same ways. We experience that fear and that terror in the same ways. And it has those ripple effects right. in all of our lives. So, I always try to be mindful when I'm speaking to a group of women about, you know, the survivors of trafficking, addiction, and prostitution, that our stories are not the same, all the women's stories. And they are maybe some, you know, you think my story compares in comparison to your story or yeah. whatever. But the truth is we can relate to some of that fear and trauma, whatever our level of abuse has been in our lives around sexual assault. Yeah. And I think that's part of the reason I think that. So farms has grown and become so powerful because a lot of women relate and they go, oh, you know, if that had happened to me when I was six versus 22, or if that had been ongoing and not just one event, you know, they start really having compassion. Mm. And that's really where the healing work happens is like, especially when women and men, by the way, when we start really having compassion towards each other in, in our stories. Yeah it becomes healing. Yeah. So much healing and compassion to be had. And I think that's something that I just want to bring up and talk um, about because, and thank you for sharing how personal it is for you and your story in that. Um, because I think the reality is that it not only deeply affects us individually, but it can also deeply harm and affect uh, our relationships with other people. So I love that you are really pulling human trafficking to the forefront where I really believe it should be in, in a topic of conversation. And so I want to start by asking you something that I actually heard you bring up on a different interview. And it stuck with me so much, Becca, that I think it's a great conversation starter to really get in and dive into this. But you said something when you were speaking with someone else and you said, well, what does intimate love look like after the Me Too campaign? And how does that translate to us, I guess now, I, my question is, how does that translate now into dating relationships, would you say? What do you, what do you think about that? So what I think about that, and thank you for even remembering it, that is, that is very, very nice. But <laughs> what I think about is, you know, that our bodies, our minds, and our spirits don't all heal in the same way. Mm. You know how like um, the scab will heal, the, it will scar over, but there's still an ache in the bone. Oh, true. Yeah. And I think it's true for a lot of people is like things look like they look really beautiful and they're healing, but truly your heart's still broken. Yeah. And you bring that into your relationships. And, you know, for the women that I serve for a long time, women will relapse over a relationship before they ever mess up with a drug. Mm. And it's relationships that become the trickiest parts. They're triggers. And so men become triggers and you continue to have some of the same behavior and relationships that you had. It's not healthy and it's not healing. You know, so for me, it's like really respecting the idea that trauma stays with us. You know, it's not like you get over sexual assault. It stays a part of your life. 
and you have to go deeper than it and you have to go through it and you have to find relationships that are really safe to help you get through it. Yeah. Because the truth is, is that dating isn't the hardest thing, by the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can trick people in dating and you can pretend like it's okay and you can dance as well, you know, through the first two verses and it comes back around in marriage and people fall apart. And it's like that kind of level of intimacy where some of the really deep trauma comes out is some mm. of the hardest stuff. But what I think I meant by the intimacy after Me Too is that I think people are pretty scared. I think yeah. men are scared. I think women are scared. And I think how we can say, you know, what does it really mean to love each other? Mm. And by love, that means honor. It means adore. It means all kinds of things. But like, what I'm interested in having the conversation is how can we stay intimate and honest and still be loving? Mm. And that way, you know, this, we can have safe work zones. We can have safe worship spaces. We can have safe places that we can go be with friends because we can trust that like, we're going to be honest with each other. We're going to look at each other in the eye. We're going to respect each other's both boundaries and desires and needs. I mean, like, I don't think, me too means shut everything down that yeah. you cannot have intimacy anymore. And that's what I hope no one thinks. I hope we get to a place where it's like, it's about deep love and respect. Mm. So since this story for you is personal too, and it's something that you've experienced in your life and sexual abuse, how, when you did come into a relationship with your husband and marrying your husband, what did this look like for you? Because I'm sure for some of the listeners, you know, especially for women listening that have been through sexual abuse, this is probably something that they're thinking about, you know, coming into relationship, coming into marriage. How do you navigate those grounds? That's a great, great, great question. And we are celebrating 30 years of marriage oh this year. Oh my gosh, we have, that's amazing. We have, we have the most amazing, beautiful three children. We have this beautiful life. He's been a country music writer and singer for years, and he is the most gentle patient, kind man I have ever mm. known. And I married him, you know, I was 24. Wow. And, you know, I did not, I did not even know, like, really how much I had been affected by uh, the years of abuse that I went through. And I remember one time we were married a couple of years and he said, being with you sometimes is like walking through a landmine. Oh, wow. A land, and the landmine, a field of landmines or whatever that I would be fine and then something would happen and I would just go off, mm. you know, and from, I think when I realized like how profoundly I was affected, it was after our first baby. And oh, wow. when our first child was five years old, it was when I was, I really like, you know, like I would have hives and I would have panic attacks and I would freak out. And it was because that was the age where my father was killed and my abuse started. Oh, and wow. I realized I was reliving it through my child. Wow. My husband stuck with me through all that stuff. He stuck with me through all my craziness. He stuck with me through all my dreaming and going through. And now I think that's the big payoff is like when you're willing to stay intimate with someone, when you're still in, willing to walk through it and love somebody with your whole heart mm. and try to honor them. It's like, I feel like now it's the big payoff. Like we are deeply in love. We have gone through you know, many, many years. I told him like, sometimes I wasn't always for our marriage, but I was always for him. I've always thought he was the biggest champion for women I've ever met. Wow. And he is, I mean, he's got like 
almost all his hits in country music are women's voices. Oh my he's God. He's a really good guy. He's really yeah. a good guy. And I think, you know, he has taught me so much about how men can be loving and compassionate. He's, he's a good man. And when you, and did you tell him about your abuse while you were dating or is that something that came out after you guys got married? No, I definitely told him while we were dating. I had, um, I had been in many relationships. You know, I was, I had already graduated from college. We met in, when I was in divinity school yeah. at Vanderbilt and he was just starting his writing career. And so when you go through divinity school, you're doing all these spiritual autobiographies, you're doing all this work. And I thought, well, it's all coming back up. And I definitely had the conversation, but you know, when you have a conversation like, Hey, um, when I was little, I was abused. That's really different than realizing like, Oh my gosh, she really does have trust issues. And she really is scared at night sometimes, you know, by herself, or she really is really passionate about women on the streets and she is going to go down there and do this work. Like, you start realizing like it really means something. And that's what I've always thought is like when women have that history, you know, it's not going to be something you get over. You're going to incorporate it. And I really want to say that over and over because you're different afterwards. Yeah. You know, it'd be like if somebody, if you lost a limb, Mm. you know, people wouldn't just say, well, I'm just going to pray for you to grow it back. Mm. It's gone. You know, like, my innocence was gone when I was five and six years old. It, it wasn't coming back. Yeah. So I think, um, you know, for me at least, to have a patient and loving partner is the biggest, hugest gift in the world. Mm. And also, I think the other gift is, I think we've always been, my husband and I both were like, you know, I don't want to start over. I want to go deeper in this relationship. I don't ever want to start over again. Yeah, And that kind of deep, deep commitment gets you through so much. And so he saw that and he embraced it. And someone else that I've talked to before is like when you're vulnerable with someone, especially with something like this, it's kind of the chance where you're saying, hey, would you hold this gently with me? And would you walk through this with me? And when you're vulnerable about something that deep and that intimate, there just requires so much love and compassion and grace and acceptance, I think, on the other end in order to feel safe because sharing something like that again it is to your point like it's something I mean and it's going to be probably a long time of rehealing and continuing to um to just heal from a lost limb like you just referenced and so um I think that's really important for people to recognize and especially I guess for men too on the receiving end of that information to just know like to receive this person and not as a as that this is something that taints them or contaminated them or anything like that. And I think our responses in those situations of revealing sexual abuse is so key because it can lead us to so much shame and further shame or further uh, trauma, depending on how the person actually responds to our revealing of our sexual abuse past. I think that's a really important, important point. Like when I finally, I think I was about 30 years old when I went back and talked mm. to my abuser and his wife. Oh, wow. I was, I had started this whole community of thistle farms and it was really important for me to get as strong and as he do as much healing work as I could do. So I went back to talk to him and, um, sat them down, had the conversation, you know, and the very first thing he said is who have, he asked me was, who have you told? Hmm. 
who have you told? And like, that's the whole thing, that shame and fear, yep. both on the part of the victim and the part of the perpetrator is huge and it has huge power. And I was like, I've told anybody I want. And it was just realizing as I was saying that, it's like, I didn't do anything wrong. I was a little kid. Yeah. What do, I mean, I have shame about other stuff or I have guilt about other stuff or I have some um, regret about some other stuff maybe, but that no, I didn't do anything. Mm. I was, you know, I was a little girl, probably really grieving her dad who had just been killed when this man took advantage of that and, you know, set his sights on me. If women are listening, it's like, there is no reason to keep that story quiet. Yeah, That is not a story to keep quiet. You did nothing wrong. Mm. And, you know, for me, it was like, you know, why I feel shame about that? Like, how about just, just, can you please just know that I may need a little bit more time or compassion or just be quiet a little bit longer as we're walking through this journey together sometimes? Because yeah. it's a tender place. Yeah. It's extremely tender. Now, you deal with so many women, Becca, that have have had really, really deep um, sexual abuse and trauma. And, you know, when, mm-hmm. when we're talking about um, healing and the process of healing from these awful traumatic situations, once we've realized what's happened and we want to actually go into the place of kind of diving in, we all talk about having to do the work, right? People are like, you just got to do the work. You got to <laughs> do the work. And so, and you hear that so often. And so I guess my question would be to you, what are the specifics would you say of doing that work? What is like the process of dealing in and, and grieving and, and then healing from that? And I would say, you know, I love that you're saying that because that is the whole mentality. It's like, do the work, do the work, do the work. Yeah. And it's like really awful and horrible. It's like, well, I really rather go have a beer. Yeah. It's like, you know I, I mean? don't want to like, work tonight. I just worked all day. <laughs> like, please. <laughs> yeah. But I think one of the things that I have learned over and over and over again with the community of Thistle Farms, especially the women that I work with. So the story of human trafficking, human sexual assault, all of that is a horrible story. But the story of women coming together in community Mm. is a story of hope. We laugh as much as we cry. Mm. The work is joyful as much as it is mournful. You know, so for me, it's like sometimes doing the work means just having fun. Mm, I love you that. Know, you know, just have, sometimes the work is, you know, going back and listening to the story or telling the story again. And that part's hard, but it, it's also like, oh my gosh, we can, there's some funny stuff about being in prison. Let's talk, <laughs> you know, let's talk about it, you know, or weird things I remember from my sisters on the road or, you know, it's just crazy. Some of the stories I've heard, they are horrific, but there's a lot that's, there's some humor in it too. Mm. So we try to go like, we're there for all of it. We're there to laugh. We're there to cry. We're there to work. Mm. But what we're, what the main thing is we're there, we're Mm. there for each other. And that's what I hope the message when I was thinking about talking to you in relationships is that people can be there for each other. Yeah. Like don't freak out if it is a bad day and there's a lot of work, but also don't freak out if somebody doesn't want to talk about it and they want to go out and have fun. Yeah. Or make a joke about it. Mm. Some of it's awkward. (laughs) It's true. And I do think that we sometimes can take two paradigm shifts, right? It's either we take the the extreme of we don't want to deal with it at all. So we just put it aside and just pretend it doesn't exist and we never want to talk about it ever. Um, 
and we just want to have all the fun because we don't want to accept that there's pain or trauma from our past. Or on the other hand, we, we embrace it. We embrace that box that's filled with a mess. And we're like, only so serious. <laughs> we are like so serious that every conversation, even in partners in relationship, and I see this happen, is so serious, you know? And I think actually that healthy balance of having fun and being serious, but having fun too, we miss out on, yeah, yeah both sides of it. Yes. And I think, well, anyway, I have a million stories around that. I won't do that right now. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, okay. And what do you think about like, spiritual practices or any disciplines that you would recommend to help rewrite our narratives, even if it's, you know, praying, obviously praying to praying to Jesus and asking for healing, maybe going to therapy. I think people are sometimes afraid of the word therapy. I personally think therapy is an incredible thing. Uh, but what do you, what kind of disciplines would you maybe suggest for people to heal from these wounds? Well, I spent a lot of time thinking about this mm -hmm. and putting together practices and thinking about, you know, how to make this, um, make our love practical, ritualistic daily so people can get better. Yeah. And so I wrote a book called Love Heals. That's yes. it. That's the name yes. of the whole book. It's a beautiful book. And it's, it's filled with all that. I mean, mm -hmm. it's filled with like prayers and images and daily practices and stories so that people could have a way to say, how can I walk through this? How does, yeah. how does love heal through this kind of pain? How does love heal through the creation that's around me? How does love heal over time? Mm. How does love heal in relationship? And, you know, what does compassion look like after this? What does forgiveness look like after this? Mm. You know, after you've gone through this stuff. And so I hope it's all there in one book, but it took me about 20 years to write it. Oh, wow. Wow. But it's really a beautiful gift book. So people can order it online at thistlefarms.org. You can get it off Amazon. You can get it at any Cracker Barrel. Oh, my gosh. Seriously, <laughs> I love it. so Southern of you. <laughs> I am Southern. Can you not hear it? I hear the Southernness. I love it, Becca. My family all lives in Texas, so I got oh, some of that y'all. Yep. Y'all, y'all, y'all. All y'all. All y'all, come on, get that book. <laughs> Come and get that book. <laughs> hey friends, question for you. Are you ready to take our relationship to the next level? <laughs> Don't worry. This is a good thing. I want to invite you to be a part of the Heart of Dating Inner Circle. I am so thankful for Patreon because it gives artists and creators the ability to raise funds to do what they do best in crafting amazing works for their communities by allowing you, the fiercest of the fierce audience, to sign up for monthly pledges to support. You can sign up to support this podcast for as little as $5 a month, which these days is equivalent to one hipster cup of coffee. Let's just be real. So what's in it for you? Our Patreon clan will have first access to our episodes, as well as behind-the-scenes looks, into interviews, process, and more. It would mean the world to me if you checked out the Heart of Dating Patreon page so we can together empower others to live their best dating lives. Come on now! I really want to continue to bring you helpful episodes, the best possible interviews, and stellar content. You can find out more at www.patreon.com forward slash heart of dating. I have a question for you too, Becca. And, you know, it's a wonder, 
if someone has realized, or maybe they were sexually abused as a child, um, but and realize that that happened, or maybe they compartmentalize it and didn't realize it happened. But let's say that someone enters into a relationship, right? And they actually are unaware about their sexual past. Um, and then it actually comes out either while they're dating or in marriage. And I, I actually bring this up because that actually specifically happened to me. I was in a dating relationship um, a little over a year ago, and it actually, through conversation, came up that, you know, he actually asked me the question, have you been raped? And nobody really had asked me that question. And so when I, when he brought it up for me, it was this realization of hesitation and sweating. And I didn't know what to do because I realized no one had ever asked me that question. And and I didn't actually know what my answer was. And it was like all these compartmentalized memories that I had pushed down over for years and years that finally were making their way to the surface. And I had stuffed them in this box because of shame and because of fear of what it actually meant. And so when he asked that, it brought those memories to light. And I remember answering and being like, I don't know. And after after that, so basically I had to process what actually really did happen. And um, oh. I actually, you know, went to therapy soon after that just to really work out the details of what had happened. And through that, it kind of you know, opened my eyes to different situations that I had compartmentalized over the years. So it wasn't just one time, but more than one time. And so my question, I bring that up all to say is that I feel like that I'm not the only one with that narrative where people have compartmentalized for years and years because of shame or fear um, and have put it out of sight, out of mind, right? And so in relationship, when you're in a deep intimacy with someone and dating, or maybe it is a marriage, those things sometimes can get brought up and brought to light. So what would be your advice uh, for people who are potentially dating that are recognizing their sexual abuse inside of relationship? Such a beautiful question. And I'm so grateful for that story. Thank Mm -hmm. you for letting me hear that. And it's, um, you know, it reminded me right before we talk about that. One of the things it reminds me of is that like, I don't even know that it's just compartmentalizing. I think it's like, we don't even have the words for what happened to us a long, long, long time ago. Like it wasn't like I chose not to tell anybody Mm. and just stuffed it down. It was like, I didn't even have words for some of that. The really inhumane Mm -hmm. acts that were going on in my life. Yeah. And I think that's probably true for a lot of women. And like yourself, when you're saying like, it wasn't that it was like, I intentionally, didn't tell or suppressed. It's just like, there's no narrative for it in my life. Yeah. And I think that's a pretty great, brave question that guy asked you and that to start opening up that space, you know, it's hard and it is, it's like moments of realization and moments of like, wait, did that happen? Or was that a dream? Or did I right. manipulate that? Or did I, you know, and and often you put blame on yourself sometimes too. And so I know that was my story. I put full blame for on it. I could remember the night, but I put so much blame on myself for XYZ factors. I knew the person right. and, and, and all these various things. And because of that, I should have, you know, 
stopped him or there's so many different things because I knew him that made it different. And I thought my definition of sexual abuse or rape was somebody who you totally didn't know who just, you know, suddenly did something to you. Right. And so for me personally, it was a moment where I didn't have the language to use because I had in ways blamed myself and just thought, okay, this was my fault. So I'm not going to, I'm not even going to think about it again. I'm just going to put it over here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think the other thing I think too is that um, I think perpetrators count on that kind of reaction too, and that way they can they can hurt more than one person. They can hurt a thousand people mm-hmm. because everybody thinks like, oh my gosh, well that was just me. I should have known better. I should have done this. I should have worked harder. You know, whatever that thing is that you know people to do, but it also empowers that person. You know, that's the crazy thing about the Me Too thing, about how many victims come for each perpetrator. Hmm. It wasn't that one woman was so special to Weinstein. Yeah. (laughs) It was so many that obviously it was like a flood of people after. And so maybe, you know, I think that that's not uncommon, Hmm. that if you're willing to um, use people for your own pleasure, abuse, um, you know, your own needs and discount them completely and what their needs and what it means to love them. I just wonder about like the wake that men like that leave behind. And Mm -hmm. and you always think if there's 10 women coming forward, there's 50 who don't want to say anything. Right. Totally. And I get that too. I mean, I get, I mean, I've had, you know, one of the things I've learned growing up is there's seems like there's no age limit on abusers either. Yeah. And that makes, that breaks your heart too. Yeah. But um, I think I get why women don't want to come forward. It's like you just catch so much from it. But I think if to not come forward in, like you're saying, in an intimate relationship where someone's asking you means that you don't want to give that relationship a chance. Hmm. If it is something like where they actually compartmentalize and forgot about it and it all of a sudden comes up. Um, that can be even traumatic, I guess, in ways for the person receiving the information because they're receiving it together and the other person's like, oh, I didn't <laughs> mean for this to open up this whole box, right? And so do you have any thoughts on how someone, you know, how we could walk that out together or what your thoughts would be for, um, you know, a healthy way of healing and stepping forward into the future after that? I think yeah, I have a lot of thoughts on that. And one of the things is you don't want anybody to fix you. You know, mm. you're not asking that person to fix you and to let that person know, like, I don't need you to fix me. I'm not coming to this to be fixed by you. Mm. So I'm not going to bring my brokenness and think, oh, my gosh, you're going to put a Band-Aid on it and then I'm going to be all better. Mm. That you're going to go do your own work and your own healing and your own journey. And you're going to share it with them for sure. Yeah. But you're not laying that on their altar. Yes. This is your altar. Mm. And you, you, you know, you're doing that work and you're doing the, um, you're doing the heavy lifting and you're doing the praying and that person can be with you, but they just, you know, they're not, they're not the ones that can fix it. And I think that's a relief for people to say like, I just, all I'm doing is I'm sharing it with you. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not, here, I'll give you another analogy that I think might be more helpful. Do you know, like, if you have a baby mm. and you go to the hospital and they make the husband the coach, 
Mm, yeah. And it's like, why are you the coach? When, when did you ever have a baby? Like, <laughs> Why, why are you the coach? You know, yeah. it's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go find a coach that's actually birthed. Yeah. And you can be my friend and my husband and my lover and my co-parent on this, but no, you're not, you don't, you do not get to be my coach. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel that way about this stuff too. It's like, you're not going to fix this for me, honey. Mm-hmm. You know, what's going on with me? Like if you're going through that, especially if you're dating, like when you're saying some of this realization is while you're dating, it's like they can't be expected to be the coach, yeah. to be the therapist, mm-hmm. to be the priest, mm-hmm. to be, you know, the trauma specialist. They're the boyfriend. Yeah, <laughs> it's so true. And so I think that's a really good point for either men who want to step into that role, because I think often uh you know, a quality that men have that's really great is they want to fix things. So they'll often step yeah. into that Mr. Fix-It role. And for to just say to men, if that is coming out, that it's not your job to fix it. It's not your job to heal it. It's your it's your job to listen. And it's your job to not judge and have grace and compassion um, and acceptance for the other person. And then on the flip side for the woman, same thing for her to know, I think because that can often happen when you have a deep area of trauma where you felt, um, or maybe that trauma has made you feel worthless or devalued or less than, um, you can often try to fill those holes, right. With a love and a healing from someone else. Uh, and I don't think that that love can't be healing, but to just not make it that that person is your everything and that person is your soul you know, I, if he wrongs me today, it means that I'm not worthy anymore and I'm back to that place. And so we have to go to outside sources for healing and have to check in with ourselves to make sure that we're not making that person almost an idol in, in ways. And obviously making sure that, you know, as Christians that we are praying and receiving deep healing and, you know, making our identity so firmly rooted in Jesus, I think is so important. Um, so I think on both ends, we have a responsibility to know, hey, this other person is not going to heal you. <laughs> and I'm right. not going to heal you as a person who's in relationship with you. Um, but to just show so much love and compassion and allow it to be a judgment free place for one another. And keep your girlfriends close. Yes. That's so key. Girlfriends can be so healing, honestly, because it's the girlfriends where you sit on the couch where you're like hugging and you and they're crying with you. You know, it's like they're walking through those times with you, whether or not it's something a deep sexual trauma abuse or if it's, you know, you just had a bad day at work. Your boss did something mean to you. It's like you just need someone to cry on and to hug right now. Mm, I agree. Do you um, do you think in all of this, Becca, that there is like a right timing for when to share? If the, if it is aware, if I'm if I'm coming into a relationship and I know that I have this past as I do today, do you think that there is a right and healthy timing to wait in dating? Because I know I receive a lot of messages about that. Of I'm afraid to tell my significant other, and you know we're either in a serious relationship or we just began, and people just don't have any idea of you know, what, what is a safe time to tell someone? You know, I think that, that, that there's not one time that works for any one person. I think that that really, really, really gets played out in the relationship and you need to feel safe telling it, Mm. you know, you don't want it to be the pearls to swine. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I'm telling you this really important, amazing thing. They're like, Oh yeah, I've I've dated a lot of girls been raped or something. I mean, it'd be like, what? 
Yeah. I mean, you know what I mean? It would just kill you. Yeah. And so in my mind, it's like, it is, a, it is part of the precious pearl that of our lives, that the suffering that we've gone through is some of the most precious stuff in the world. Hmm. And it is, it's sacred. It's, it's hard and sacred ground. Hmm. So you, you need to make sure that you're safe when you're telling it. That's the most important thing. Hmm. That it won't do damage to you to tell it. I think it's so important too. You just said about the you know, kind of having graceful dialogue around it. You have to be really careful as the other person. We kind of brought that up, but like, yeah, they're like, oh yeah, I know tons of girls that have been raped. Yeah. It's like, um, is not the right response. Also not a great response to like freak out. Like, oh my gosh, you have, oh my gosh, you know, right. because that can make you feel like, oh, oh my gosh, I'm like, I'm freaking this person out. I've done something right. really wrong or, you know, it's something to be ashamed of. And so I- right we need to have graceful dialogue. Do you, do you have any picture of what that would look like if I was like sharing that with you? And like, what would, what would be something good to say to someone, I guess? If you were sharing what with me? If I was sharing my trauma with you and we were, you know, like in a relationship, someone was sharing a trauma with you, what would graceful dialogue look like to just make the other person okay. feel, yeah, comforted and loved and supported and accepted and not judged? I think, the main thing is to really be present and listen in the conversation. And that way I can answer. I mean, I can respond honestly. And, mm. you know, if, you know, you're saying, you know, look, I didn't even know all this happened to me. And then I started realizing it in this other relationship. And this is what happened. I would hope that I could say that must've made it doubly hard. Mm. You know, to be trying to start a new relationship and be holding on to this old, old pain, that's really tricky. And mm. you're just discovering that. And I'm so sorry, you know, that you went through that. I think it doesn't hurt when you're having graceful dialogue to focus on the listening and then to focus on what are the words of compassion you can offer. Yeah. So good. Becca, I feel like we could go on because I just love this conversation. And I found even just it's so healing to talk to you and just your insight. And so thank you for for talking with me today about this. And um, I just want to say you have great, great questions. You have a great platform. You're beautiful. I love love that we get to see each other while we're podcasting. I wish I'd put my face on, so to speak. You are good, girl. You know what? I could be wearing like pajama bottoms right now. You'd have no idea, right? Right. (laughs) It's amazing. Um, Okay. So I want to ask you one final thing that I ask all the listeners or all the guests that I have on here is, um, um, what is your final nugget of dating advice that you would give the listeners just on the topic of dating and relationships? My nugget of dating advice, and you're asking somebody that hasn't been dating in a long time. So all <laughs> I, I do is live vicariously through my children, like hear the stories and what they're doing. But I would say that, you know, be gentle with people. Hmm. You know, it's such a fast world and there's so much social media stuff and people hooking up quickly and, you know, heading out. And it's like, I wish there was more gentleness in it where it doesn't, I don't mean gentlemanly, I mean gentleness. Yeah. Where we're treating each other like we remember we have feelings beyond all of it, beyond all this snapshots and images 
posted mm-hmm. everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. we are fragile people in some ways still. So we, let's be sweet to each other and gentle. Mm, I love that. Becca, you are wonderful. And if everyone, I, I don't know if everyone listening knew of you before today. So I'm so grateful that you just came on and people got to find out about you and Thistle Farms and what you're doing. And if they want to stay connected to you, how do, how do they find you? And of course, they should, everyone should go get the Love Heals book. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book. But how else could they connect with you if they wanted to? Um, they could connect with me however they wanted to. Go to BeccaStevens.org. Mm. That's the best thing. BeccaStevens.org. You'll see, I mean, all this. I do a daily meditation on social media. You yeah. can connect to Thistle Farms and get all the beautiful healing products for your body that I you love need. it. Yes, all the beauty products. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. You're wonderful. Um, thank you just so, so, so much for your time today. You're welcome. And thank you. Thank you. I hope it, I hope it helps. Wow. We really just need more Becca Stevens in the world, don't we? I love that today we got to dive into so many different facets of handling sexual abuse and trauma within relationships. One thing I just have to say is that graceful dialogue is so key. Let's be gentle with people. There's no need to freak out when you find out about someone's past. Be kind, listen, and be sweet with your words. Also, Becca says to not be afraid if the trauma comes back up in your life. She says it's not like you get over sexual assault. It stays a part of your life and you have to go deeper than it and you have to go through it and you have to find relationships that are really safe to help you get through it. And y'all, that is okay. You don't need someone to fix you, but if it does come back up, that is normal and you will be stronger dealing with it through time. This was truly one of my favorite conversations. I just hope you all feel as blessed as I do after this talk with Becca. And I also want to just go encourage you to pick up her book, Love Heals, because it's simply phenomenal. I cannot be more thankful for your support of the Heart of Dating podcast. I am blown away by your rankings, reviews, messages, all of it. If you want to be a part of our inner circle and support what we are doing, we encourage you to pledge any dollar amount that you want on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash heartofdating. Also, if you like this podcast, would you please consider giving us a review? It helps us immensely and we cannot thank you more. Until next time, friends.